0: another fabulous episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier, here with Jeremy Gregory. Hey, Jer-Bear. Oh, wow. And this week, Billy is not going to be able to make it. Uh, it's been a rough two weeks for all of us, I think. Uh, just this, this time of year, very busy. Normally, my job is very quiet. It's been incredibly busy. Uh, Billy seems to be uh, still getting used to his new job, and, uh, and he got a snowstorm, uh, which normally we're the ones getting snowstorms, and he doesn't have anything. So... Uh, Apparently down there everyone just drives in circles into each other. So he's very busy dealing with all of that, and is not going to make it for today's episode on Dynamite Heady. But before we get into that, Jeremy, what have you played since our last episode? Uh basically the same
1: exact thing from from the previous two podcasts. Uh, it is it has been nonstop Red Dead Redemption. I'm just I I feel bad like talking about this every podcast, but I'm. As I get older, I have found myself just playing these games very slowly. I mean, it took me like half a year to beat God of War, for Christ's sake. So Red Dead is taking even longer at this point because it is a very long game. And last time I checked my story progression, I'm at like 50%, maybe 52%. So um, yeah, that's going slow, but I'm still absolutely loving that game. And I I don't want to just repeat the same thing over and over again. Uh, But yeah, that's really what I've been playing.
0: Well, I, I mean, you're gonna, not going to find someone who's going to argue about not talking about the same game, because apparently I'm hitting my year anniversary for playing Monster Hunter and discussing it every episode. Uh, now that there's an expansion that's been announced, I'm sorry to everyone for the next two years worth of episodes where I talk about Monster Hunter. But our last episode on Metal Gear Solid got me back, you know, interested in trying the later games in the series that, for whatever reason, I've never really played. Um, again, I bought the, the HD remasters of 2 and 3 for the Vita and and then never played them, so I've now finished Metal Gear Solid 2 and I'm working my way through Metal Gear Solid 3 and, you know, when I first started Metal Gear Solid 2, and I I think everyone else has already played this game, but I did not care for it. The main character is, uh, I mean, after the intro, essentially, the main character is Raiden or Raiden and the whole game, even up to the end where it kind of felt better about that character. I was just so annoyed by the the dialogue and the character himself that I was like, man, this game is not that fun. I'm not enjoying it. I hate this character, but I wanted to get through it and see it did it did salvage itself. I thought the ending made the rest of the game kind of worth it. Um, but then so then I jumped right into three. And everyone talks about how three is probably the best in the series. I mean, Billy mentioned it on the last episode; it's his favorite, and it's just not grabbing me nearly as fast as as I ended up getting into two. And I don't know if it's because it's all outside and and almost open worldy. I mean, it's still not, but compared to the corridors and and uh, just the you know the on, on the on the shell from the second game, where it felt a lot more like the original Metal Gear. This is, I don't know. I'm just it's not grabbing me. I'm still enjoying it, and I'm slowly getting through it, but uh. You know I, I like the characters more like the enemies in that in in three more but the actual gameplay itself I just feel like I get caught so then I run to the next screen let myself die and then reload on the next screen back in like sneak mode I, I'm not doing this with any kind of finesse whatsoever but uh but I am enjoying it I, I don't know if you liked three more than two or if you ever played three but uh you know i'm i'm I am enjoying it
1: three was was always my favorite uh until like Metal Gear Solid 4 rolled around which is which is my current favorite out of all of them. Um but yeah, it, it is a it's a much much slower burn, slower burn, if I could speak correctly, uh than what uh the previous two were because it does take a little bit to get going, especially even story wise. Um, and I think if you stick with it, especially in the the latter half of the game, it becomes much more what you're used to. Because the big thing with Metal Gear Solid Three was doing that that outside thing, you know, being able to camouflage yourself out in, in the the brush and the swamps and all this kind of stuff, and uh, it, it made a big deal of that. Uh, but going through the game, it eventually kind of becomes what you're used to. Uh, there are definitely more enclosed environments later in the game. And and just the bosses in that game are worth playing, uh, especially towards the end of the day. I'm not going to spoil anything, but man, it, it just goes all out to make some of the best bosses in the entire series. Uh, it is probably my second favorite. Uh, it, it, Metal Gear Solid 2, man, that's that's a weird game. <laughs> it's It's... I, I hated that game about three fourths of the way through, and it only kind of redeemed itself at the very end when it just lost its mind. And, and I definitely love that, especially the the final boss scene. Uh, it, it was just such an amazing thing. It was, it was so out there, and it was one of those things I was like waiting for that game to finally be like, all right, did Kojima make this, or is this just some weird? Offshoot or something, but it totally ended up just being a Kojima game where it went insane like all the other ones. So, uh, yes, I, I did enjoy Metal Gear Solid Two, but not as much as I did Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid
0: Three. Well, I think ultimately I'll probably agree. I mean, I, I am, like I said, enjoying Three. It is definitely a slower burn. I, I'm currently at the end boss fight. Uh, I mean, the character named the end, not the last boss fight, uh, and it's very frustrating, but at the same time, kind of cool, and I am enjoying it. Um, but yeah, yeah, 2 definitely almost feels like an origin story, which I think is what it is for that character. But uh, but yeah, no, so I'm enjoying those, and I guarantee I'm going to finish up uh, finish up 3 and move on to 4. Uh, so I'm really glad we covered it last episode, because it got me back into a series that I basically had given up on just out of feeling like I was overwhelmed. I was so far behind, there was no point in catching up. And, and I've already done a fair amount of catching up uh, in, in the two-week period since we've recorded that episode. But the only other game obviously other than monster hunter that i put any time into is this week's game dynamite heady for the sega genesis Recommended to us by Logan, who also gave us last episode's uh, question at the end of the episode. Uh, an excellent question, excellent episode. Again, highly recommend listening to all of them, but I'm assuming at this point everyone is caught up. So we'll continue talking about Dynamite Heady. Have you played this one before? Actually, no, because I, I was kind of
1: surprised. For some reason, I never got this into my head that this was a treasure game. And I'm a pretty big treasure fan, especially back in their 16 bit days. Uh, I I just, I remember it. I totally remember it sitting at the video store, but this was kind of late in the 16 bit lifespan as far as like what was coming out. And I had just about had it with platformers at that point. And, uh, I, I believe I had, when I did see it, I had recently bought a 3DO or I got it for Christmas. So I was, I had kind of moved on a little bit from, from what you know the super and genesis i was suddenly better because there was polygons in my game uh, <laughs> terrible games but they were in it uh, but yes i i never actually <laughs> I, I i saw it but i never actually picked it up same with Ristar, uh, which i kind of put those two together for the longest time i thought they were the same game for the longest time uh but apparently you know this is the first time i have actually got to play this game
0: yeah it's on it's on the what the sonic's Ultimate Collection. I'm pretty sure it's on the current Sega collections because it was published by Sega, even though developed by Treasure. And yeah, I'd I'd never played it. I mean, I had the the Sonic's Genesis collection on my Xbox 360 forever. I've played other games we've reviewed through that. I mean, I I love that collection, but for some reason I never really grabbed this. I think it's because I thought it was just some kind of generic platformer. I didn't know. I mean, I knew it was Treasure, but. not that I'm not a fan of their earlier games, because they did some really good 16-bit and even PlayStation games. But you know, I, I'm more of a treasure shooter fan. They did Ikaruga and Radiant Silvergun, and and I like like their other platformer games are fine. But I always think they kind of try to do a little much. Uh, this definitely follows in that uh, in that footstep where they they kind of took all their great ideas and threw them all together. And it's definitely interesting, and it's definitely worth playing through. But man, this game. This game has a lot to offer uh, as long as you're, you're willing to uh, kind of completely redesign how you're playing a game every level. Yeah, it,
1: it's, you know, going into it, I had, like I said, I hadn't played this, but my favorite treasure game ever was Gunstar Heroes. And even back when I was playing that on the Genesis it stays pretty much as, as what you would expect an action game to be like, you know, it, you are running and gunning and shooting. But even that game, sometimes there is just so much shit going on that you don't know what's what's happening. Um, but there is just as, even with that, there's just just the certain quality to a treasure game. And that's what I've always loved about treasure is like when you pl- when you sit down and play a treasure game, it is. Undeniably a treasure game, and they are going to make the game that they want to, even if it is to a detriment to to the game itself, Uh, which, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, more. But Dynamite Heady is totally just that game. It is totally just a treasure game of throwing everything at the wall and doing some really cool hardware tricks that you would never expect to see on the hardware uh, and seeing what sticks.
0: Yeah, I mean, Treasure had had previously only made Gunstar Heroes uh, before they made this game uh, on the Sega Genesis. This came out in 1994. Again, it was it was developed by Treasure and published by Sega. Uh, it is a, a 2D action platformer, which is I mean, everything on the back of the box, everything that you know you see, even if you just watch a short video, makes it look like it's just a standard 16-bit. Mascot platformer, uh, of which there were millions, so, you know, who cares? Why is this interesting? Uh, what makes it more interesting is that the only weapon you have is your head. Uh, you basically throw it almost like a boomerang in the eight directions of the directional pad, uh, and you have to then use that to not just attack everything, but you can use your head to grab on to like knobs that will make you jump, you, you use them to kind of launch yourself up to higher platforms, uh, along with finding other heads that replace your head that then give you a bunch of other abilities as well. Uh, the whole the whole game is made up of a bunch of very short levels. Uh, that's also a very treasure thing, I think, where where levels can be kind of a, almost a storytelling piece along with being a level, but a lot of them are very short. I mean, you, the, you'll go through an action scene, you'll get through it in, in a minute or two, uh, but each overall world, I guess there's nine worlds in this game, maybe four or five different little pieces uh, of these levels. And all of them uh, in the world kind in each, all of them in each world kind of have the same theme, but in between each world, you know, world to world to world, the game has a, has some pretty drastic changes in, uh, in how it has you played. I mean, it's not, com- it's not a completely, you know oh one level is a strategy game, and one game is a is a shooter, and one game is some sort of weird puzzle game. I mean it's all still action uh with the exception of one set of basically straightforward you know top down gradius style shooter uh but the rest of them are still two d action platforms, but they do a lot of like you mentioned a lot of really cool tricks with the system hardware, so there are levels where the Platforms you're supposed to land on kind of rotate in and out of the screen, and you're supposed to make sure you jump on them at certain times and move around. And at first, that those were the kind of things that they look really cool. They're really neat little gameplay pieces, but they definitely make it so you have to kind of wrap your head around them to, to really get through the levels after you've first gotten to them. Yeah, it's it's
1: definitely, you know, when it whenever you sit down to a treasure game. And when I saw that treasure logo come up on the screen, I was like, "Oh no!" I mean, it, it's equal parts like, "Great, I'm getting to play a treasure game." I never got to play, but at the same time, what am I getting myself into? What are they going to do? Because you know they have a very they have a basic blueprint for a game here, which is using using Hetty is that his na- Is that his name? Yep, Hedy? his name is Hetty. Hetty, and uh, with two D's. And, uh, you know, he's running around throwing his head and stuff like that. And he's got it's got some really fun platforming mechanics to it of being able to grab onto things, jump up higher than what you can actually jump, uh, having multiple power ups for your head that you can get. I mean, all that stuff is really cool and all that stuff would make up the entirety of a really great platforming game. But treasure being treasure isn't going to just do that for the entirety of the game. (laughs) They have you know, they're going to do a whole bunch of other stuff in between that with just that blueprint of, of the platformer sprinkled within and dynamite. Heady is a perfect example of that to the point where early in the game, like maybe like the just the first set of levels. uh, It does that where it, it is that game, that very basic platformer. But after that, you don't know what you're going to get level to level. It could just become a completely different game, which it does at one point. And it's, it's, I mean, like I said, for better or worse, this is what Treasure does. And it is it is in full effect with Dynamite
0: Heady. Well, the game itself is, uh, I think, visually amazing. I mean, the music's fine. It's it's for Genesis music, it's actually pretty good. Um, but, you know, it's nothing that I was walking away really humming afterwards, but it wasn't annoying while I was playing it. It didn't sound like metal scraping on things like other Genesis games. It it actually has pretty good music. But the the visual style of the game, everything looks like it's, on some sort of play background stage where like you can see props that look like they're supposed to be props from a play as opposed to looking literally like a you know you're not in an underground sewer you're in what looks like a play where someone tried to design it so it looks like an underground sewer where you can see kind of the the seams that hold things together in some levels they actually use that to kind of knock the stage backward for a boss fight like you see parts of the stage fall down and you have a boss fight in quote the the backstage area uh it I really, really like the way this game looks.
1: There is like one big complaint that I have with this entire game. And I'm not, this is totally just me because I'm crazy. But like the color palette of this game, (laughs) early in the game anyway, it is like this predominantly yellow and blue or some. I don't, when I think of this game, those are the two colors that I think of. And for some reason, it just makes the whole thing kind of uncomfortable for me. And I, I'm not sure why. I'm sure there's some sort of weird science out there for what colors can make people uncomfortable. But this color palette <laughs> in particular, it, it playing those first few stages when it, before it kind of got a little bit more regular later in the game, there is just this, this combination of colors that kind of – Almost made me have anxiety playing it, and I can't explain why it does that, but it totally just does that. But otherwise, I think the game is just gorgeous. I, I think it looks amazing. Uh, a, a, all the enemies are, are just whatever they are half the time. You know, they're they're trying to be puppets because this is like a toy world or something puppet world. Everything looks really interesting, and there's a lot of really neat designs. Obviously, they're there's a lot of very japanese designs in this game so things are going to get weird because it's tre- it's treasure but yes the, this is a, a the entire way through i mean just everything looks completely different this is not one of those games where it's just like oh no this game is just going to look like this the, the through the entirety of the game you're just going to be seeing do things every single stage and it's all going to look pretty amazing
0: yeah i didn't have that same problem where the colors uh, were uh, offensive but but it's definitely very bright. I mean some of the levels are almost pastel I mean they they' it's supposed to look cartoony and it succeeds in that uh, and, and everything's animated very well as well. So it's not you know it's not chunky it's not the standard Genesis platformer that are like the, the X-Men game or Shikan um, where everything's kind of all over the place. this is a very streamlined game world level to level. Uh, as far as for a Genesis game, it's, it's much more what I expect from almost a Nintendo style platformer, but it is, it is very pretty the whole way through the bosses are big. They're not massive, but they're big. And again, everything is animated very well. And, uh, and it's worth just to play to see everything. Like I enjoyed even when I was dying and, or getting frustrated with the game. Um, I still wanted to see what the next area was just to see it, um, so this game uses the standard three-button Genesis controller. It does not use a six-button for anything. Uh, the only buttons you have are jump and attack using your head or whatever head replacement you have. Uh, the other button will cancel the active head that you have if you have a power-up head. So let's say you get a, a head. Uh, one of the examples is a hammer. So it, may, it turns your head into a hammer. It attacks the same way your regular head does, but it looks like a hammer, and it does a lot more damage. It's notably uh, on bosses, or, or there are some walls you can only break through with the hammer. Um, those all have a short time anyway it's probably what 15 20 seconds that you get to keep those heads uh, until they automatically go away but if for some reason you grabbed it and there's a you, you just want to get rid of it it's not what you want it's not going to help you right now you can hit the a button and immediately it changes back to your regular head Uh, You'll find these other power-ups for your head. Uh, There's kind of like a little character that holds a sign that will most of the time have multiple different options of what special head you can get, and they just kind of rotate through. It'll be a hammer picture, and that's for the slammer head. And there'll be like a, looks like a a set of lips, and you get that, and it turns your head into a vacuum uh, vacuum. Like a, You suck in all the power-ups nearby. So there's some areas where there'll be power-ups stuck behind grates and things you can't get to them unless you have the vacuum head to suck them through that uh, and into your head. But you can't hurt any enemies with that because you literally just have a vacuum for a head. So that's one of those ones you'd probably want to cancel out immediately once you get the item. Um, but yeah, that way if you get a power-up you don't want and you accidentally hit the wrong one from that little guy, you can immediately cancel it out and go and try for one of the other ones you do want. Um, because this is a game that's supposed to look like a uh, like a player or a puppet show, uh, instead of a health bar for you and the bosses you're going to end up fighting, uh, your health bar is a little stage light in the upper left. Boss health is on the upper right, and it goes from green, yellow, red, and then it'll like kind of flash black and red, uh, which means the next hit will probably kill you. Uh, I don't hate it because I'm glad it's not a one-hit kill game, but I'm also not a big fan of this sort of health bar.
1: Yeah, it actually took me a minute to just kind of figure out what was going on with, with the, health, the whole health situation. Uh, it's just, I mean, it, it's fine once you know what's going on, but you, it, if it would have just maybe done a, an actual segmented bar, because there are so many different colors in that in that uh, the, the screen that it shows you, uh, that sometimes I wasn't sure just how many more hits I could take. I I think it's cute that they went that way. It obviously fits in with the theme of the game. But uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that's just one of the one of those things that they should have just tossed in there is like just put a put a meter in there and show me showing me how many hits I can take. Uh, One thing I did want to mention, though, with the power ups uh, that you were talking about, these are not just normal power-ups as far as like how they dole them out throughout the stages uh there are obviously just regular power-ups as far as like what your head can do as far as like the suction thing uh you do get some some head power-ups that make you make you shoot out multiple uh, uh bullets or something that makes makes attacking easy but there are other ones that actually just makes you like smaller or they give you a different head that makes it your head more powerful as to far as far as like pushing things. And so instead of just making these things like random, they will just kind of put these things around the stage as far as like helping you through. And one of the coolest things that I thought with like the stage design is like there are multiple ways through these levels, but you have to actually use the power ups that they give you. And the little thing that walks across the stage kind of cycles through each individual power up that you can get so it can you've got a second to maybe hit the power up with that makes you little or you've got the one that gives you the hammerhead so this is like a thing that you can you have a couple of seconds to hit that gives you this opportunity to kind of go through a different part of the stage and it's not hidden or anything like that it's just you know it gives you that that option as far as like the power-ups go and i thought that was actually really cool it was you know this very a super mini Metroidvania as far as like being able to choose your path through the stage depending on what power up you got. Um, but I just thought that was really neat.
0: Yeah, it happens early on in the game with the specifically the shrink head. Uh, there will be a, a path you can see on the right. You can only get to because it's obviously smaller than you are. Or you can go up and around. Uh, and the reason you do that is that each of these levels has a bunch of hidden secrets. Uh, really, I think they only serve the purpose of points and bragging, but. When you get to the end of any world and fight a boss or whatever, at the end it gives a countdown of, you know, you, you level completed, here's your time bonus, here's whatever, and then there's secrets, and it tells you how many secrets you could have found. When you do find a secret, it norm- the game will actually say, like, you found a secret. Um... And that's one of those things that the other pathways are how you're going to find all those little secrets. Again, they don't really serve a purpose. I did check to see. It's not like you get a secret special ending with that, with, with finding all the secrets. Uh, there is a secret special ending, uh, which I'll get to shortly. But the, the secrets are just there to see what you can find. And I think that's really cool, and I'm glad it shows you at the end You know how many were there. So that way you can kind of keep track uh, as you're playing this, because it's not a long game. The game has nine worlds you fight through, some of which are fairly short. You can probably finish this game once you know what you're doing in about 90 minutes, and that's probably if you're really taking your time while not dying and being effective. Because uh, some of the boss fights are a little long. Some of the later areas uh, are, are a little longer, like the shooter section, which is World 6, uh, is a little bit long. Uh, and the, the, the boss fights specifically there seemed like they were extensively long. But, again, in the in the term of a game you can sit down and play in under two hours, this definitely meets that requirement. So the fact that you can play and just get these little secrets kind of gives you more reasons to play this again, which is nice.
1: And a lot of that even extends to, like, how you beat the bosses, which was really kind of neat. Because, like, there are ways to defeat the bosses that are not normal, that actually count as secrets. Uh, so it, it's... I don't know. They they do a really good job of making you find that stuff that isn't overly obvious as far as just like, hey, it's a secret area. Uh, so I mean, that 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 was actually a really cool thing that they did.
0: Well, there's there's one of the it might be World Four, the end of World Four. There's actually no boss fight. You get to it. It's an empty room. Uh, there, there's like a little helper character that kind of tells you where to hit specific bosses that comes out and says, hey, the boss is already defeated, and uh, all the bosses give you a key, and it's like, yeah, and the key's already gone. Uh, But as you walk towards where that happens, there's like a little thing that floats down from the screen that if you're not paying attention, you might see the very corner of it before you've scrolled to the end of the level and have to see that little scene thing. Where if you just sit there and inch forward a little bit and wait, it flies down and it's just this guy you can shoot a bunch of times and eventually, you know, he like cries and shoots off into the air and it gets you a secret point. It's little things like that that are hidden throughout the levels that I, I mean, I enjoy finding that stuff. And uh, and it was kind of neat to see it all there. Uh, even though I probably out of the, the what fifty secrets or so in the game, I think I found eight. But <laughs> but it's still really cool that I stumbled on some by accident. So we brought up the heads. Um, I mean, a lot of them, and the book does go through most of the manual for the game. Uh, Again, a lot of them are uh, things that make your attack different or it causes you to shoot beams out in all eight directions or a little shield. There's one, though, that looks like a bee, and you'll find it at, I think it's four or five sections in the game. I know that you have to have at least four, but I think there are some extra ones just to make it easy. Uh, They take you to a bonus game. That is a... You you have to basically hit basketballs off your head into these baskets. You have to hit so many of them. I think it's ten in each level. And if you've done that successfully, uh, you will earn a... uh, It basically gives you like a number. And says, hey, don't forget this number. And then you go right back to the game. Uh, They're hidden throughout the game. There's a total of four you need to finish. If you can finish four of these bonus games and get four digits, write them down. Uh, It's not set. So it's every game you play this, you need to make sure you write these numbers down. And if you don't get all four bonuses uh, throughout finishing the game, then this never happens. Uh, but the actual extra ending, so you finish the game, you get to the very end, it shows you a little scene that it says, hey, congratulations, you won, you won these four bonus games and got the numbers. Why don't you enter them into this code block? And you do that and you get like a, an extra little ending, an extra little fight. Uh, I, I thought that was cool. Now, the bonus game itself, the basketball bonus game, oh. is, is one, not that much fun, because I, I couldn't get a skill to figure out how to re- effectively really get these baskets in. But along with the baskets that have stars, that your, your goal is to get 10 star baskets, there's a a basketball basket, and that just makes it so more basketballs shoot out of the basketball shooter. Uh, and there's a key and when you hit the key, it destroys one of the basketball shooters so that both of them, if, if you get two keys, you've essentially ended your bonus round shot. Uh, you can also hit the button that cancels your head and that will end your bonus round shot. So you could get, if you're trying for the secret ending, because there's a lot of randomness to this bonus game you could get to the fourth bonus game that you need to finish and all of a sudden hit two keys on your like ninth shot and boom, it's over. You're not going to get that last number and you have to then restart the entire game to go back and try to get that fourth bonus.
1: And if you're thinking this is just like a, a super quick little fun, jump out, jump up and hit the ball and it, it kind of goes in automatically. No, uh, this is, you have to be perfect with the timing of hitting these, these basketballs or kind of the machines are shooting them up into the air and you have one chance to hit them with your head to kind of keep them in play. Otherwise they hit the ground and they turn a different color. Um, and there are two sets of baskets. There's one on the uh, the bottom level and then there's kind of one just above it that's kind of going the opposite direction. They're just scrolling different directions. And this should be like, I mean, maybe I just didn't get it, but this should be the easiest <laughs> Bonus game uh, of just about any 16-bit platformer I have ever played, but for some reason, I, this was maddening. I could not get the timing down. I could not quite get the physics of what you have to, how you have to hit these balls. I'm sure there's a super easy way to do this, but I swear to God, the first one that I did, which you only have to make five baskets, took me almost like seven minutes to do. And that may just speak to just how bad I am at video games, but I just could not figure it out. I could not get the timing down for that thing.
0: Well, they don't fire in one set direction. They fire at different angles. Uh, occasionally, they will instead of firing a basketball, they'll fire a bomb out. I mean, it, it does not make it easy for you. And it's you're right. It's not very fun. Like <laughs> I got to the post game the first time, and I was like, Ah! Oh, if I never play one of these bonus games, I'm okay with that. This is not enjoyable. Uh, the the only short term benefit of those bonuses, if you're not worried about going to the the extra fight at the end of the game is that it does fully heal you. So if you go into a bonus game and you're in flashing red, when you leave the bonus game, you'll be back at green full health, which is great. Uh, the only other way to get health back, other than uh, I think when you beat a full world, you get your health back. But there are fruit. I think it's like bananas and stuff that you can find in the levels that will refill it. Uh, but there's not a lot of it. There is not as much as I expected. The early levels have more. Uh, But even by level, you know, four and five, there was a lot less of the healing items around.
1: We need to talk really quick about the one that actually does fill up your health. And it is the strangest health refill I've ever seen. So, you know, the little thing that kind of goes around at the bottom that gives you different power ups. Yes. There's the one that the the ZZZ.
0: Oh, yes. Sleep. Yes. You go to sleep.
1: And this whole thing, this whole process of getting you, you hit the thing and you put yourself to sleep. I think it takes like around 10 seconds for your character yawn and lay down and go to sleep for a few seconds and then wake back up and you're at full health that I I've never seen anything as far as like just a health power up Uh, so just tedious I mean it, it I didn't understand what it was doing for the longest time because I was like why am I just going to sleep because. It cycles through the power-ups, and I would just hit it by accident, and then I would go to sleep. But eventually, I figured out it was actually giving me full health. So that was like the other way to, to refill your health. It's so
0: strange. Well, the, the danger is if you use that in a place where you can get attacked, I think you can die if you're asleep and get attacked. but Even better. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's definitely, well, I, I just thought it was a bad item, like an intentionally like, oh, well, that's what you get for just hitting item buttons like a crazy person. Here's a bad item. I didn't realize it healed you, uh, but that is, in fact, in the manual, <laughs> so I should have known that. Um, you, you start the game with three lives, pretty standard fashion. You can find extra one-ups. Uh, I was unaware there's a continue in this game. Where every time you die, it goes to like a an ending screen, which looks like it should offer you a continue, but then it never did. Uh, my character just gets like cheese for a head and runs off to the side, and I have to start the whole game again. Uh, which is, again, a game that's going got 90 minutes long, not a big deal, but if you die at level, you know, 8, 4, you've got to start from 1 again. Um, but after you beat all any of the bosses, they kind of fall apart and explode into these brown cubes and if you grab enough of those apparently you can earn continues that's that's in the manual I read that literally minutes before starting this podcast because I, I could not figure out how to continue I knew there had to be something and then I was just thinking maybe it was a cheat code maybe it was a something you earn in a later level I didn't make it to because I did not finish this game but no, nope, you just have to get all those little brown cubes from the bosses and eventually it awards you with a with a, a continue, uh, which is great, because the game is definitely difficult, and it's got some some bosses specifically that do a lot of damage to you, and if you make a mistake, uh, you know, you pretty much guaranteed your death, and it doesn't, uh, when you die, it starts the fight over again, fresh, so it's not like a game where, you know, you come again on the side of the screen, in the middle of the battle, you've already done all your damage to the boss, it's continuous, nope, nope, you can get in the last hit for that boss die, you get to restart him from scratch.
1: It is a, a pretty hard game. Uh, I think we should probably mention now that the if you play the original Japanese version of this game, it's a, it's a much easier game. But when they brought it here to the U.S., they they made it a lot more difficult. And it's it's not like one of those games where you take a few hits and you die. You definitely get a lot of hits as far as like how much you can take before you you die and have to continue. Uh, but it's it's still a very hard game to play, especially some of the bosses and, uh, along with just maybe a little bit too much going on at times for you to tell what's going on as far as like taking hits and being able to dodge things. So yeah, it's, there's a, there's a challenge to it, but at the same time, it's, it, it seems like maybe the, the Japanese version was actually balanced more correctly or more correct as far as like, what you should be able to take with how much chaos is constantly going on at times in this game.
0: Well, I don't know if I, I mean, it's hard, but I, I mean, I haven't been able to put as much time into this for the two week period that we play this for as, as I'd like. Again, it's been very busy and I've been able to get consistently to world five. So there's nine worlds. I can get to world five. I've, I've gotten to the end of it. I, I mean, I like, I like the game. I still want to keep playing it. I think it is difficult, but I don't think it's, insanely hard, so I don't know if the other version, if, if we had the Japanese version, if this had been one we all beat in two tries, you know, I mean, that's fine sometimes, I enjoy a game like that for, well, especially for the purpose of a podcast, But but this is the kind of game that if I had this on the Genesis when it was new, I probably would have kept playing this over and over again to get good enough at it to get through it.
1: I mean, yeah, I definitely would as well if I if I played this as a kid. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's is uh, it's not super difficult. It's not like the hardest game you've ever played. I was just kind of mentioning that it was it it, it is an easier version if you if you play the Japanese version of the game um, than than what we got here at the U, in the U.S. Yeah, I I mean it's it's still a, a really fun game and and we haven't really mentioned the bosses much. Uh, tr- treasure knocks it out of the park just about every game as far as bosses goes. And I'm not the biggest boss fan when it comes to video games. But when it's a treasure game, they just there's something about their bosses that it's it, they just know what they're doing and it, every time it's just fun to beat their bosses like in a game. I don't know. There's just multiple times in this entire game where I was just like, oh, my God, there's like this. These bosses are just ridiculous. There's one part about halfway through the game where the game decides to be a side scrolling shooter, which is the worst part of the game. But the boss for that stage is the weirdest thing. It's like a a like a doll's head, like suspend, like point being pushed up by a metal rod. With a hand that's on a metal like somebody is controlling it like a puppet, but it's so freaky and as you go through it like it starts out as a baby doll and the more you hit it like the head splits off and it's a middle-aged man and the more you hit it it turns into an old man and it's just the weirdest thing and Square or Treasure is just so good at making just the, the craziest boss fights and and this is no exception.
0: Well, yeah, the, the early ones, too, are, I mean, maybe they're not as involved as that fight was, but, like, I think the second level, it's it's that horse-looking thing. It's a giant, almost screen size horse that falls down from the ceiling. Maybe it's supposed to be a dog. I don't know exactly what it is because it's big and cartoony and bulby, but... <clears throat> the only way you can hurt it is by h- hitting it in the tail, but it will keep falling down on the screen, and it'll smash you from underneath of it. But then it just kind of stands there and does a few little things while it wags its tail, and you have to run over to it and hit it in the tail or make sure you're in the right space to hit it in the tail. Uh, it, I mean, there's little bosses. or the, it's All the bosses have a different mechanic, which I like. I mean, it's not incredibly different, but they all definitely have their own... Little quirks and they're all interesting looking. Um, There's a lot of mini bosses, so even though there's nine worlds, there's a bunch of of what I would consider boss fights in this game. Um, The fifth world, which is almost entirely done, where you're rotating around a tower. Uh, The whole you have to basically just jump on these platforms. You go up this tower that rotates the whole screen around, and you're fighting a, a boss that is essentially taking out huge chunks of the tower and you have to make sure you're not on an even platform with it or you'll fall now thankfully falling in this game generally does not kill you but it hurts you and it shoots you back up in the air to find a platform but that boss himself uh who's like a cat head robot thing that slams against uh you kind of dances across the screen, and then will take big chunks of the tower off. When he hits you, he does a lot of damage. I think if he hits you three times, you're dead. Uh, th- there's a lot of bosses in this game that do a lot of damage to you. I mean, the regular enemies in the stages are not really concerning. It's those bosses. Uh, they, they they definitely do a lot of damage, and even though there's that little arrow guy that comes on and tells you how to hurt them... Um, I think that actually adds more to the chaos of most of these boss fights. You're already trying to figure out what to dodge. You're already trying to make sure you know even where to hit the guy. And all of a sudden, this guy keeps flying on the screen, yelling, here, 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 and putting arrows across the character. It, it definitely makes the fights a little more chaotic. But uh, but all the boss fights in this game, even the ones that are not hard, all at least look really cool, and they all definitely fit that the, the, the theme that this is some sort of player puppet show, which is really cool.
1: It's just I looked forward to seeing what they would do with every single boss. And you were talking about the one in uh, World Five or whatever, when you're climbing up those towers, like even the boss itself at the very end is this giant robot in the middle of this big kind of uh, circle uh, that kind of goes around the boss. And it's constantly putting you in the front of the boss or you, you're behind the boss and you have to try to hit the the tank that's at the back of the boss. Uh, to, to take power or to hurt him. And it's just, I mean, it's just so treasure. It's just, everything is happening. You don't know exactly what you're getting hit from half the time because there's shit just flying everywhere at you. Uh, a lot of these boss fights are the same way. You're just not quite sure what, what is, what's going to hurt you. What's not what, what you have to hit until, like you said, the little guy comes on the screen and tells you what you need to hit, but it's so fun. To see what they come up with. And generally, once you figure out what you need to do, probably about the second time through or even the first time through if you're paying attention. But there's sometimes just so much chaos going on screen that it's hard to to pick out what you need to do at the time. But it's still just so fun to see what they've come up with and and how the actual boss fight is going to play out because it's just – man, there's just something about treasure bosses that I love.
0: Or just the whole game. It, it's a fun-looking game. It's fun to play. Even the parts that are frustrating, I think, control well. I didn't have a lot of control problems. Um, I, I had a couple minor issues where, where I was trying to attack diagonally down, and I wasn't able to. But I think that is more a problem with the emulation uh, than the original game. I think I wouldn't have had that problem with the Genesis. But uh, but yeah, no, this game, it's definitely one of those games that... I understand why it has a good reputation. Why it keeps showing up in these collections. Why people would recommend it to us. It's a lot of fun. It's different, uh, but it's a very solid game. Yeah, I I actually really had a
1: lot of fun playing it. I, I think it's actually one of the longer treasure games as far as like a sixteen bit uh, one of their sixteen bit games go. Because I'm Gunstar Heroes wasn't very long at all. Uh, the the ten levels that this one has is it's a decent decent length and uh, they're constantly throwing things in there. Whether they work or not is kind of up to you. I mean, we haven't really talked too much shit about this game, but the level where it turns into a side a side scrolling shooter is awful. Like it, it decides it, it is literally just, it turns into a side scrolling shooting. You, you, you turn into a plane or, or something else that shoots. And there's three stages of that. It's, awful and it is it's like they shouldn't have put this in the game and i almost want to compare it to earthworm Jim 2 but that would be a disservice to dynamite heady because i think dynamite heady is much much more successful at throwing in things besides just the basic blueprint that earthworm gym 2 had that was a fun a really fun platforming game that was built off the first one that could have made a a really great second game if they built more on that, but they just kind of went off and and did so many different things, uh, as far as like just create, like making it a shooter and just all this other stuff that didn't really fit in. But when you, and dynamite Heady is kind of the same as far as like putting all that other stuff in, but it's more cohesive and it feels natural. I mean, not natural, but it feels more like it should be in the game than what earthworm Jim two did. Uh, it, it, sometimes it's successful I mean more so than not it is But it, I, I, I'm really glad I got to play it it's a great game I really feel bad about missing it As a kid I would have totally loved this As a kid but for some reason I just I, I don't know I don't know why I just Didn't pick this up it was my bad Totally should
0: have great game Well I know why I didn't because it wasn't on the Turbo graphics as we found in the past oh. That's where five years of my Life went, and I showed up on the other side with the PlayStation so uh, that's my excuse, but yeah, excellent game. Thank you for the recommendation. I do recommend anyone with any of these Sega collections or the actual cart to 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 try it. If you haven't, it's it's interesting. It is fun to play, and it's there's nothing else like it on the collection. So it's excellent. <laughs> So our next episode is going to be our Christmas episode, and finally, we keep talking about every year how we're going to do uh, a Christmas game. We've never really pulled it off. I think we did Batman Forever, Batman Returns one year, because it has a level with Christmas presents. That's as close as we got. Well, this year we've got a guaranteed Christmas classic, uh, as we're going to look at the original Die Hard trilogy for the Sony PlayStation covering, of course, two of the best Christmas movies of all time, Die Hard 1 and 2, and uh, and the third in the series as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I've, I've made myself go out and find an original copy so that I could play it, and, uh, and it's going to be a treat, I'm sure, a festive holiday episode. Uh, but we actually have several pieces of listener mail. We do,
1: and actually before we start this, Jeremy, I have a pop quiz for you. Okay. So- so I need to get—I need you to get your brains ready. This is a one-question pop quiz. All right, so if you log on to the Internet, which I hear is a thing today.
0: Okay, I've and done it you before.
1: Go, yeah, you've been there?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, if you go to Retrovania.net and you scroll all the way down to the bottom, okay. what do you think is there?
0: Now, you know, I only know this because it's been making the rounds on a lot of uh, bulletin boards I follow. Uh, apparently, it is the world's best Way to ask a question to retrovaniacs.
1: That's right. Contrary to popular belief, it is not six gigs of furry porn. It is in fact our uh, um, amazing contact form. Go there, fill it out. It's super simple. Send it away, and we will probably answer your question here on the podcast, as long as you're not insane and ask us things like what that mouth do. But also, we answer that
0: I believe in question four, so er, uh, episode four. So I'm pretty sure we've covered that already.
1: Yes, don't ask that question anymore. <laughs> that was a bad episode. Uh, anyway, we've got several emails uh, this this week, so we are going to go one, one-on-one one with these. And first up is Patrick. And he, ha- he writes in to ask, have any of you tried to make your own game before? If so, what is it like? If not, what would your game be like if you didn't make one? Hopefully
0: this hasn't been asked.
1: Actually, Patrick... This actually did just get asked like th- four episodes ago. Yeah, the the
0: Chakan episode that was covered, it was worded differently, but it was the same general question. Uh, and, and to answer it again just very quickly, no, none of us have made our own game, uh, but all of us uh, talk about what we would like to make, uh, which unsurprisingly seems like a lot of 16-bit action games. So there you go. Uh, it, it's at the end of the Shakan the episode. I think it's 67 or 76. or uh, it, It's recent in any event.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for for writing in and asking. Um, If you've got a a question that hasn't been uh, answered already, please write back in, and we will be glad to answer that. Uh, Next up comes from Neil, and uh, his message is – Big fan of your podcast. If you're looking for a good game to review, try Target Earth for the Sega Genesis. It's one of my all-time favorites, and it was ahead of its time. Loading out your mech, the expansive battles, the mature storytelling—I think it's a hidden gem of the area.
0: Thanks. So, have you—you you actually played Target Earth before? I have not. I thought it was a space shooter, but it is not apparently.
1: <laughs> I, it looks kind of neat. I, I actually had—I saw it back uh, at the video store when I was a kid, and it was just kind of maybe over my head. Um, but it totally looks like a a side-scrolling mech game that has like strategy elements uh, tossed in where you can choose what mech you want to send down and and fight the battles and stuff. It looks pretty neat. So, So we will definitely put that on the list. Thank you, Neil, for writing in. Okay, next question comes in from Jesse, and he says, hey guys, just found your podcast. I've listened to most of them, and I really enjoy the era of gaming you guys typically cover. I'm sure you guys get a lot of requests of games to cover, but hear me out. I hear lots of TurboGrafx-16 references, and that at least one of you likes playing racing games. TurboGrafx has a racing game with major RPG elements. It's called Final Lap Twin, and I had a blast playing this game. I grew up the only kid in my small town in Canada that that had a TurboGrafx-16. 16. to hear that anybody else in the world gets a nostalgia hit from the turbo graphics is pretty exciting you guys have convinced me on trying a few games that I have overlooked in the past and really enjoyed so thanks and I hope you continue the podcast for a long time to come all right so I think I am the actually the one that actually enjoys uh, racing games but Jeremy P over here is the one that that is the TurboGrafx guy so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out to him have you actually heard of final lap twin?
0: I have heard of it. I have not played it, uh, as I was not a big racing guy. Uh, unless you can shoot shells at people or RC pro am, I have not tried it. However, I do like. Uh, I mean, it, it's got like a like an a console RPG element to it. Not like you 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 know build your car and spend all this time on parts and stuff. I mean that happens to some level, but it's more like you walk through a town and talk to people in RPG fashion. Uh, it it looks interesting. I actually. Would not mind doing that at some point uh, in the future because it's one of those graphics games I've never played. So I don't have my nostalgia glasses to talk about how great it was. Uh, but any time that you can take a regular game and add a you know Japanese RPG town that I walk through in it, I'm probably going to like it. So I, I am interested in trying it. I'm pretty sure I might have loaded it onto my uh, Super NES Classic with most of the TurboGrafx library. So I'll have to give it a shot and see if we think it is worth uh, doing an episode on, or maybe if that's the kind of thing that would be better served for one of our videos. That actually sounds kind of insane because,
1: <laughs> I, I don't know, just the idea of a racing game with... with jrpg elements slapped on top of it kind of sounds awesome Uh, and if i'm not wrong i believe the turbo graphics actually had a game like that that was a tennis game Uh, so it was like a a regular just tennis game with that you could play as a single player with with jrpg stuff slapped on top of it i know it was another sports game don't quote me on that one Uh, but anyway next question final question comes in from wendell And he says, hi, peeps. I'm a young, fancy lad who has – who was (laughs) – sorry. (laughs) How can you read fancy
0: lad and uh, not laugh? It happens.
1: It's completely – I mean, God, we don't have enough fancy lads on this podcast, so I'm excited. (laughs) All right. I'm a dude that was not around during the heyday of the NES. I've read, ba- I've read that back in the day, the NES games that were often in short supply and people would travel far and wide to get a game that they wanted, often settling on a second or third choice. Considering that you guys are old timers, hey now, did this really happen? If so, what were the most precious NES games to own back then? I also have a. I also have some game recommendations: Rekka for the Famicom, also on the 3DS Virtual Console; Bioforce 8 for the NES, unreleased but leaked; and Conquer's Bad Fur Day for the N64. Thanks, man. That I I could vouch for Conquer. I could totally do Conquer. That'd be a fun episode.
0: That that's one that I played. I never finished, but I, I did enjoy the little bit I played of Conquer. That that might be a good one to do when we've got a little more time to put to, for a two week uh, play playthrough. So, yes, there were definitely games that were in short supply. I mean, notoriously, the Zelda Two: Adventure of Link was actually, you know, not... They didn't put out a whole lot of them. There was some problem with the chips or something, so they could only put out a handful. That was one that I mean, people would hunt down... And there was like one kid in school that had it, so everyone's like, "Oh man, that's really cool." Until you played Zelda Two, and it's a turd. But uh, that, that's okay. Uh, it was still something people looked for. I don't know if it was much as much a matter of that it was hard to find games because they were limited, as much as unless you lived in an area that had you know a, a good Toys R Us and and several other um, specialty stores. Yeah, I mean, I had to go to like a Radio Shack. They only carried three or four games at a time. I, you know, that's where I got some of the worst games I owned because there weren't a lot of options. I lived in a in a fairly small town in southern Virginia. I, I, if I was lucky, I'd get to make that trip to Toys R Us that happened once every six months or so. And then, sure, you could probably find whatever you're looking for. But otherwise, yeah, I just had to to deal with whatever I could find. So, you know, I'm not going to get Zelda two. I'm going to get you know, Amagon. It's not really a trade off, but it's it's you get what you can find.
1: Now, I think you've actually mentioned before on this podcast that you bought a lot of your, your games, like, on an actual army base. Am I correct?
0: Oh, yeah. The the exchange uh, at, at the army base would be where my dad would take us uh, because, you know, he would go there to buy whatever else he was going to buy because it's apparently cheaper. Uh, and, and we would they would only have a handful of Nintendo games, but they constantly cycled through what they had. So sometimes you get lucky. Like, I got Jackal there. And I got uh, the Guardian Legend there, which I thought was great. But then other times we've gotten some some real turds. Uh, I mean, Magmax I got from there. I think Milan Secret Castle, uh, a handful of games that were just, you know, it, it's all they had. You could pick from like three or four games, and that was your that was your choice, and that was the only option I had. So, yes, it was definitely harder to find games. Uh, you know, now it's easy. Not only are there many many more specialty stores and and things like Walmart and Target carry most of the big name titles but with online services now you don't need to hunt anything down you just if you're not going to download it and play it on your system you know legally i mean like through PlayStation network then then there's really no reason to not find a game you want in 2018 Okay. As for me, uh,
1: I, I grew up in a very large city and pretty much anything that I wanted to buy was kind of around, you know, I had multiple Toys R Us. I had stores, I had multiple malls that I could go to, but I didn't actually have the money to buy any games. So for, for me, it was more of like, more or less like, did my video store carry it at the time? Did they decide to get the game in for people to rent? And that was generally my biggest issue as a kid as as far as like finding new games. Back then, my parents were only members of maybe one or two video stores at the time. So that was my selection of games that I was able to pick. And if they didn't get it in, then I, I wasn't able to play it. Or if I didn't see it in a magazine, I didn't know about it. So there are a lot of times on this this very podcast where we have played games uh, in this era that I never actually saw because it wasn't in my video store. So that was just one of those things of, well, I mean, yes, I could go to Toys R Us and they probably had everything that you could possibly want on the Nintendo and, and Genesis and Super Nintendo. But if it wasn't in the video store, I wasn't able to play it because I just wasn't able to buy it. Um, but but that was probably the biggest Problem for me, but we did actually make Billy answer this question before uh, before he laid back down and and died from a concussion or whatever's going on. But we uh, he he wrote in to actually say. Um, I lived in a shit town, so if it wasn't at a local Kmart, then I didn't know it existed or simply wasn't going to be able to buy it anywhere since no other stores around me sold video games. Because of this, I ended up getting a lot of those second and third choices on games I wanted or just bought a game to be buying one since this was the only selection I was going to get. My favorite games that I actually managed to find and own that were considered fairly rare for the time was Super Dodgeball and Maniac Mansion for the NES. Especially Maniac Mansion since I kept seeing it in the magazines but never actually saw it in a store around me. Amazingly Amazingly though, one week, it actually showed up on the shelf where I snatched it up immediately. But for the most part, it was just luck and timing, so you had to keep checking every week just in case. And I think that's kind of how it was back then. If you didn't have too many stores around you, it was really up to them as far as like what stock they got in. And a lot of places weren't carrying too many NES games at the time. If you didn't live in a big city with a Toys R Us or something like that around.
0: Yeah, that that's pretty much exactly what I had to deal with too. I mean, uh, there was a Toys R Us that was... I mean, within half an hour, so we could get there. But you know, how often are your parents going to take you to Toys R Us? Uh, and the answer is almost never in my in my case. And and it was definitely yeah, whatever they could find. I mean, that was it. And later on in the system, there were more gaming magazines. There were more ways to find out, you know, what new games were out. But especially early on in the NES, and and especially before that, you know, I had an television and and the Atari seventy eight hundred and some other systems. Uh, the only way I even knew a game existed is because I saw it on the shelf there. So th- there are plenty of games that even now, uh, you know, I, I still have my Intellivision. I still like to to, to kind of look at that the the Intellivision you know retro scene. And there are games that's only it's only like 180 games that came out for that thing. And there are some that I've never ever heard of. I never would have seen them. They were never even at the Toys R Us. They were just. I mean, I don't know how you would have found some of these things, because uh, again, there weren't magazines to find them. There weren't there weren't really ways to even though they existed, and there's no online. So, yeah, there, there's definitely some very rare older games, you know, especially starting at the NES and working right back that people may never have even known about. Because how would you have? And there's definitely a reason why so many
1: kid from kids from back then. Their NES libraries overlap. It's just because they were able to play them at their friends' houses or, or houses or because their friends owned those games. Uh, there just wasn't too many, you know, in the case of Billy, like Maniac Mansion. Not too many kids owned Maniac Mansion. There, there was just a, a weird just amount of games that no one actually ever got to play. And, and I think that's why you kind of see a lot of these these YouTubers come on and be like, oh, these are hidden gems or something like that. It's just because they never actually got to play them back in the day. And it's so easy to, to just download ROMs or whatever on and play them on the EDS Classic or, or the Super NES Classic or whatever. And, and that's just how you find these games now. And you get to play these games because you never got to play them. And perfect example today is Dynamite Heady. I never got to play that game. You know, that, that was something that I never paid attention to. So it's, it's always great to be able to come back now these days to where it's much easier to find these games than what we had to deal with back in the day, which was, you never knew what you were going to get depending on what store you went into.
0: Well, next week we're playing a game that was everywhere. It was re-released as a PlayStation classic and, uh, and it was fairly popular despite that. I I don't have a lot of great memories of it. The Die Hard collection for the Sony PlayStation for our special 2018 Christmas holiday episode. So until then, as we've mentioned earlier, please go to Retrovania.net, home of the best question form on the Internet, uh, but also has links to our YouTube channel and our Instagram and Facebook and everywhere else you can find us. And we will see you next time. Tell them, 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 tell them,
2: tell them, 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 tell them,